That's 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 11. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were with, uh, when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However, you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no, no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties, varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the, manifest- the manifestation of the Spirit of the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another, um, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Good evening. Let's... um. <clears throat> Let's uh, pray together. Father, you are good. You have done amazing things. You've sent your Son and Jesus. You are all to us. That's why we're here tonight. And we just pray that uh, in the power of the Holy Spirit, you would um, awaken our hearts to your word, that uh, you would open our eyes to who you really are, that you, you would help us to marvel at who you are, die to ourselves and be changed to be more like Christ. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Psalm 139 from verse 13 says, Lord, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Isn't that amazing? To consider that God has made each and every one of us different. Knitting us together and forming our parts. Giving us a life to live as individuals. And it's also amazing that together... We make up one body of people, the body of Christ, the church. Last Sunday night, Pastor Greg, um, he asked the question, why go to church? Why, why should Christians go to church? And it's because, basically, we're a unit. We work better together. We're like a, we're like a body that needs all its parts working and functioning so that it works properly. But guess what? Unless each part of the body is actually functioning, 
the body's going to suffer, right? Think about it. A body can have all its pieces. It can have all its pieces together in the right place. But if each part doesn't do what it's made to do, it, it may as well just be a corpse. It's lifeless. All the parts are there, but they're doing nothing. So it's vital that every part of the body knows where it fits and functions so that the body has some life and, and vigour about it. So you're a Christian, you're part of the body, you're sitting in church. Now ask yourself, where do I fit? What's my function? What's my function? Now some of you might be thinking, do I really need to be doing something? Do I actually have to do anything? Paul, who wrote, who wrote Corinthians, uh, might say something like this. Yes, of course you should be doing something. You haven't been saved by Jesus Christ just so you can keep throwing your life away like you did before you were saved. The, the God of heaven and earth didn't plan your salvation before time began just so that you can be a spectator on the sidelines. There's no such thing as a Christian couch potato. Well, there shouldn't be. You're part of the body of, of, of Christ, so you have a place. Of course you have a role to play. Because without you, the body's missing a bit and it's going to suffer. Here's something else amazing. God takes ordinary people like you and me and uses us to continue his work in this world until Christ himself returns. And one of the primary ways he does this is using is, is by giving us a spiritual gift. Flick over to uh, Romans 1, verse 11. Paul's writing to the Roman church, and he says, For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. This, this little scripture tells us what spiritual gifts are used for. In verse 11, Paul, Paul's going to Rome not to give them a gift, but to actually use his own gift to, to strengthen their faith, to strengthen their faith. See, verse 12 explains it. He says, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. You see, Paul is using his spiritual gift to strengthen the faith of others. And like Paul, we have a responsibility to discover and to display uh, our gifts in suitable ways that strengthen the faith of others and build up the body of Christ. That's what they're there for. You know what I used to think? Excuse me. You know what I used to think? That um, spiritual gifts are for crazy Christians. You know, whack-job worshippers. 
I used to think that spiritual gifts meant speaking gibberish and, and flopping around on the floor like a fish out of water. That's because I've seen it. But now I know what spiritual gifts are actually for. I know that they're for all believers and they play a central role in the, in the maturing and strengthening of the church. But see, I didn't know it. You could say I was uninformed or ignorant about the whole thing. And, and the Corinthian church was kind of the same. It's why Paul's about to correct the Corinthian church uh, about their understanding of spiritual gifts. Because like many of us, we're either ignorant or uninformed about this vital element of Christian life. So let's read um, back over in 1 Corinthians 12 from verse 1. It says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God Jesus uh, ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. See, the Corinthian church, um, they're messed up. There's arguing, there's adultery, greed, divisions, all kinds of stuff. But, but Paul's concern right now is to focus their, their attention on true spirituality. What it, what it really looks like according to God and not man. You see, the Corinthians, they brought a whole lot of baggage in from their, from their past, right, into their new faith, from their pagan worshipping, right? They brought it into the worship services. Their past was uh, full of hyper-spiritual, um, hyper-spiritual activity as they worshipped these false gods. They were full of ecstatic and, and dramatic displays of spirituality like um, prophesying and, and tongues and that kind of thing, speaking in different languages, and, and even claiming that these things were from these gods themselves. They may have even heard the name of Jesus being cursed or praised throughout this um, chaotic worship. But one of the problems is that they were equating the dramatic displays of spirituality, or displays of worship, with, with true spirituality, um, and particularly prophecy and speaking in tongues. And a lot of people, they wanted these more miraculous gifts. They were aiming for these. And so we see these opening verses actually draw our attention to the fact that some of these more dramatic displays have carried over into their Christian worship services. So in verse 3, Paul gives them the most basic criteria for uh, discerning whether these gifts that they're seeing displayed are genuine or not. Because the truth is, not everyone who's speaking in tongues and prophesying has the Holy Spirit. Again, one of the problems was that Everyone wanted to have these more miraculous gifts, the showy gifts, the upfront gifts, because they related them to a higher spirituality. Basically, the more vivid and dramatic uh, the experience, the more spiritual it was. 
But that's pagan thinking, and it's not actually true of, of Christianity. Think about it. What's the point of everyone having the same gift anyway? It just leads to, to chaos and disorder, and it does nothing to strengthen the faith of others or build up the church. Even though it may seem like a highly spiritual experience. Because it's easy to get uh, captured by a good show, isn't it? It's easy to listen to smooth speech and, and motivating talks. Especially if the speaker seems super spiritual or on a higher plane or, or you know, they claim to have some special or secret knowledge. And there's plenty of that kind of thing happening today, right? There's churches that can put on a good show and give you a good experience or create a spiritual experience. There's church leaders that will claim things in the name of Jesus Christ, but are they the real deal? I think here's a good place to listen to the words of Matthew 7 from Jesus himself. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That passage just chills my spine, hey? And it's because it includes us as well. See, our, our faith must be genuine and our, and our gifts used as expressions of that faith in this very life before we meet Jesus face to face. So there's three points from chapter 12 uh, that will help us to be more informed about spiritual gifts. Firstly, uh, diversity is divine. Diversity is divine. Remember, Paul wants to correct their thinking about gifts because many were pursuing the more miraculous ones. But in the passage, he's keen to show us Uh, that God's good design is to have a diverse range of gifts spread throughout his people. God doesn't want everyone to have the same gift. That's why he empowers different ones in different people. Let's read together from verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities. But it's, it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. That's fairly clear, right? There's variety of gifts, services and activities. Paul even lists some of them down further. Wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, tongues, interpretation of tongues. That's not all of them, but it's clear that there's a variety of gifts. But not only are there a large variety of gifts, it's clear that they're spread out among believers. Have a listen uh, to the emphasis from verse 6. 
And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. The emphasis can't be missed, right? There's a variety of gifts. They're divided up however God wants them to. And this is why I say diversity is divine. Because God made us all different. And God made different gifts. And God gives them out. And God empowers them in his people however God wants. Diversity is divine. And you know what? This is great news for us. Because it means we don't have to be anyone but ourselves. We, we can stop trying to be like so-and-so over there and just be, God, just be who God made us to be and who, who he wants us to be. We can relax. You are exactly who you need to be. The next point, gifts are given for good. Gifts are given for good. So we've already looked at uh, Romans 1, which shows that spiritual gifts are to be used to strengthen the faith of others. Here we see the same truth, but it's just dressed up a little differently. It's in verse 7. Have a look. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. In other words, spiritual gifts have a specific purpose. They're to be used for the common good of the church. So here's the logic. Strengthening the faith of others leads to mutual encouragement, which builds up the whole church in faith. See, gifts are given for the common good. In verse 25 of our chapter here, God says that there should be no division and everyone should have the same care for one another. If one suffers, all suffer. If someone is honoured, everyone should rejoice. That's the kind of unity that spiritual gifts should create in the church. So if you see that a so-called spiritual gift is actually doing damage to a church, like in Corinth, it's likely that it might not be a gift from God. Spiritual gifts are given for good, for the common good. So the fruit of the spirit of the of the spiritual gifts should be should be ripe and fresh, not not black and mouldy. You know, good, not bad. The next point: all limbs are level. All limbs are level. Now. I know I'm pushing the alliteration thing here, um, but it's all I got, so that's what we're going to use. All the limbs are level. What do I mean? I mean that every part of the body is important. 
No one part is more important than the other. Every part of the body is valuable and, and it's necessary. Every part has an important job to do. And I say this because that's something Paul's talking about in verses 12 to 26. In verse 12 to 13, he starts it right at conversion. That's when a per- person comes to faith in Christ. And the point's clear. It doesn't matter who you are or where you're from. If you confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and have the Holy Spirit in you, then you're part of the body of Christ. It's a level playing field where, where all parts of the body, all the limbs, are level. So whether you're Jew or Greek or Aussie or African or Northsider or even Southsider, you're in God's family. Equal with everyone else. Now, it doesn't mean we have the same role to play, but every part is necessary anyway. Paul uses the illustration of a body to explain the point. From verse 14, For the body does not consist of one member but of many. If the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, That would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member... Where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Indispensable. I was thinking about it um, in terms of a watch. You need all the bits in the right place doing what they've been made to do. Think about it. What good good is a watch if it doesn't have hands? Or what what if it has hands but it's missing a tiny little cog from the back? Or it doesn't have the pin on the on the thing to hold it onto your wrist? For the watch to be most effective, it needs all the right parts in all the right places, doing what they've been made to do. And it's the same with the church. It's the same with the church. And this means that you are a valuable part. This means by God's grace, you get to play a part in the building of the the kingdom of God. This means that you get to have a role in the entire story of redemptive history. Because God's given you a gift and he's given you the spirit and in his power, you will be used to do great things for the kingdom. In God's power, use your gifts in everyday life to strengthen the faith of others. To unite the church, to build up the body. And help it to paint a clear picture of Jesus Christ to the world so that more will be saved and that Jesus will receive more and more of the glory that rightfully belongs to him. How's that for a job description? 
How's that for purpose and meaning for life? But it's got to start here. It's got to start by asking the question, where do I fit? That's the question we all need to be asking. Where do I fit? And you may already have some idea. You might already be using your gifts. And you know what? Praise God. Praise God that he would use any of us to do anything in this world. Seriously. What a privilege. But maybe you've never thought about gifts. Maybe you didn't realise that you're a valuable piece of the puzzle. Maybe you didn't know that God is just waiting for you to stick your hand up and say, Lord Jesus, where do I fit? Show me. Make it clear. So finding our gifts begins with a plea for God to help us discover them. After all, he expects us to use them, right? He hasn't, he hasn't given us these things to sit around like that treadmill or fancy blender you bought five years ago. Right? Our spiritual gifts are God's way of continuing his work in this world, in this fallen world. And it's precisely because it's fallen, because of all the various trials and suffering and, and heartache and weariness that this world brings, that's why our faith is going to need strengthening. That's why we're going to need people to lift us up. That's why we're going to need people to help us to trust more and more in the promises of God. Because I don't know about you, but when I'm down, I need someone to drag me up and dust me off and get me going again. I need someone to point me back to Christ again. That's what keeps me going. And all these things, that's what makes these spiritual gifts so important. Because we all need lifting up. But how do we find them? How do we find them? I want to suggest that to discover our gifts, we first ask God to make us people who desire to be faith strengtheners. Ask God to help us to be a person who builds up others, who strengthens faith. Then, we, then what we can do is ask ourselves the question, how can I strengthen someone's faith today? Or even tonight. Ask that question on your way to school, on your way to work, on your way to uni, as you come to church, at home, wherever. Ask that question. How can I strengthen someone's faith today? And then, go and do it. You know, it might be a timely word that the Spirit lays on your heart or a certain scripture that somebody needs to hear. It might be a a hug or a handshake or give a meal and a place to rest. It could be a practical help, no matter how small. It could be a listening ear and praying for someone. It could be connecting people with others to help where you can't. 
It could mean finding out what needs and opportunities lie right here at North Pine and filling a spot, taking on a responsibility. And so you keep praying and doing and praying and doing and after a while assess where you might have been effective. Where, where has there been successes, some, some tangible fruit and that just may be your spiritual gift. Put your hand up for ministry. Try things that are way out, your, way out of your comfort zone. Consider what passions you have. Consider your natural skills and abilities, because God might want to use them. But it could be something totally other than that as well. Ask other Christians what you think, what they think your gifts might be. Go online, try a spiritual gift assessment test as a starting point. So when you do find an area that seems, uh, you know, where, that is being effective, and you should cultivate and develop that gift, just like an athlete or a musician has to, has to train and practice, we've got to do the same with our gifts. They need to be exercised. And for many of us, this is going to take a lot of humility. Because if you're like me, we're going to have to repent of our laziness and our careless attitudes towards the role we have as part of the body. Because we've just let other people do everything. We haven't stepped up. We need to repent of our consumer mindset Expecting the church to meet all our needs while we don't meet the needs of others. When God reveals our gifts, it might not be the ones we want or desire. And so in humble submission, we have to recognise that his plans are better than ours, are bigger than ours. Basically, we have to accept who God has, has made us to be and to trust that that's good. And we must humble ourselves when any of our uh, God-given gifts have any success because though God uses us, it's not about us. It's about Jesus Christ. It's about worshipping Jesus Christ, the one true living God. That's what it's all about. And just as Jesus humbled himself from glory to Golgotha, from heaven to the cross, we must follow him. We must follow him. And this means using our spiritual gifts, applying those might take us to places that we don't want to go. So we've got to hold on to the plans that we make very loosely. And we've got to be ready to drop them completely if we call to. Here's the bottom line. If any of us here profess that Jesus is Lord, if anyone confesses that Jesus Christ is the risen Lord of the universe, then our lives don't belong to us. They belong to him. So the gifts he's given us must be used for the good of the church and the glory of Jesus Christ.
and the world might call you a fool. But stand firm, Christian soldier. Don't be, don't be fooled into thinking that pursuing money and comfort and property and fashion and entertainment and all that kind of stuff is more important than using our spiritual gifts for God. Because those things are a mist. They're fleeting. Don't be sucked into the lie that living for God is a waste of your life. Because one day, every person will stand before the God of heaven and earth. And everyone will have to give an account for the life they've lived. What will you be able to say when God asks you how you used the gifts that he gave you? Jesus is coming. Jesus Christ is coming back. And so now is the time to put your hand up and ask Jesus, where do I fit? Let's pray. Jesus, We thank you that you have made us, that you've given us life, that you knitted us together, that you've made us alive. And we thank you that through your death and resurrection, you have brought us together as a body and that you've given us gifts to use for our good and your glory. Lord Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit dwelling in us, may you lead us towards these gifts. Help us discover where we fit. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, compel us to give our lives wholly and fully and completely for you. Help us to detach perfectly from this life, to give our lives to you. Amen.